insects have a lot of folklore or myths out there. And some of the myths are actually really interesting when you look at particular insects. So I did a little research about termites to see what exactly are people believing happens with termites. So one of them is that termites are part of the ant family. And as we talk, we'll actually compare and contrast ants and termites, but they are not in the same family. Termites can eat through concrete. Well, termites are pretty tough, but eating through concrete is not something they can do. And then last, it was termites serve no useful purpose. They are simply destructive pests. And termites are actually the original recycler. They break down dead wood in forests, they turn it into uh, nutrients for soil to help plants grow, and they are an important part of an ecosystem. However, when they start feeding on people's structures, well, then they become a destructive pest. Today, we're going to go ahead and talk about wood-destroying insects. My name is Sylvie Kenmere, and this is part of the Ace the Ace podcast. Now, wood-destroying insects are found in our IPM for the Urban Professional, pages 124 through 138. Now, the good news is, is that if you are using this book, everything you need to know for the exam for wood-destroying insects is located in this book. Now, the bad news is it's a lot of pages and there are a lot of insects in here. When we look at the study list, you will see that there are the variety, first of all. You have the termites in here and you have three main termites, but then there's some other ones that you need to know. You have ants, which in particular is the carpenter ant. You have bees, you have the carpenter bee. And then you have quite a few different beetles. All of these are wood-destroying insects. Now, if you don't do termite or wood-destroying insect work, well, then this chapter will be a little more challenging for you because you're going to have to learn about that. But if you do termite work, well then, and, or wood-destroying insect work, then you're gonna find that this is actually very uh, easy for you because you'll be able to at least be familiar with some of the insects. So we're gonna cover a little bit on the strategies on how to look at these particular insects, what to focus on as you're studying, and hopefully this will help you as you are on your journey to studying for the ACE exam. Now the first insects we're gonna talk about in this group are the termites. And termites are interesting because uh, they have recently had a taxonomy change when it comes to categorization. Remember, entomologists love to change things when they find out something's new. And so they did recently do some DNA testing and they figured out that termites are actually related to cockroaches. In fact, uh, they actually moved them from their own order, which is Isoptera, which means same size wings, to order Blattotidae, and they actually created a suborder Isoptera. Now, don't worry and get all caught up in this. I just really want you to know that because if you're using a second source or you ever go into some of the literature, you'll notice some things say Isoptera, some orders say Blattotidae. Again, uh, this is something that's really more important for entomologists it's really not important when it comes to the exam, other than knowing that it happened. Now, when we look at termites, 
again, they have two pairs of wings or four wings, and they're all the same size. They have simple metamorphosis. Other words that we use for simple metamorphosis is gradual, incomplete, hemimetabolous. They all mean the same thing, okay? Here's the problem with termites. So for whatever reason, biologists, especially entomologists that have been around a long time, refer to the nymph stage as a larvae. And we've had this discussion about metamorphosis and we talked about what we call each life stage when we went through each type. And if we were talking about an incomplete metamorphosis, you had egg, nymph, adult. But when you see termites, you will see that those life cycles will show egg, larvae, adult. And so why this happens is because termite biology is actually quite complicated. The egg hatches and it becomes what the purest entomologist will call a larva. The reason they call it this is because it will still make another change. Now it could change to a worker, which is the largest cast when it comes to the eusocial termites, which are all termites. Worker cast is very important. It can also become a soldier, which is another cast that defends the colony. But it can also become a secondary reproductive. A lot of it will depend on what the colony needs and the pheromone signals that will tell the colony what they need to be when they grow up, so to speak. Uh, so that's why it's called a larva. So remember that for this insect, but then forget it for anybody else that has incomplete metamorphosis. So there are three casts, as I just mentioned, a worker, soldier, and reproductives, either the primary reproductives, the original king and queen, or their secondary reproductives, which are supplemental to help the colony. They eat wood. And the way that they digest that wood is that they have one-celled protozoan and bacteria and special enzymes in their gut. In order for a nymph to be able, or a larva to be able to get that protozoa, the workers have to share food, and that process of sharing food through the mouth is called trophallaxis. And so that's something that's very important. Uh, to actually make identifications, if you had termite workers, it's extremely difficult to make the ID. It's hard to see the structures you need. So often we need soldiers or swarmers to make that identification. And once we have them, we're looking at the shape of the head capsule on the soldiers, or we're looking at the mandibles and the shape of the mandibles, or do they have teeth on them? Are they crossed over? These are things, as you're reading this chapter, that differentiate them. If you look at an Eastern subterranean termite, you wanna to look to see what the shape of the mandibles and the head capsule is. If you're looking at dry woods, same thing. If you're looking at formosans, again, another one. So compare and contrast those. That'll be a good exercise for you as you're studying for the exam. For swarmers, it's going to be uh, the wing venation. So sometimes there's different kinds of, of wing venation and that's what we're gonna be looking at when we look at swarmers. So to make an ID, you have to have those other casts. Now, compare and contrast really here, it's ants versus termites. And so make sure you know the difference. Obviously ants have elbow antennae, they have a narrow waist, 
and their wings are not the same size when they have wings. For termites, they have monolithiform antennae, it's a little type of beaded antennae. Remember, go back to our uh, morphology talk to look at the antennae. They have a thicker waist and they have wings that are all the same size. Okay, and so that's the main difference when you're comparing ants and termites. And so they're not in the same family. They're not related, okay? Termite anatomy, again, make sure that you take a look at those head capsules and also for the soldiers, take a look to see who has teeth and who doesn't have teeth. Those could be some compare and contrast questions. Also, when you look at the termites and you're, if you, again, if you have this book, which I, again, I highly recommend, when you get to the termite comparisons, really look at you know, the different species and what makes them unique and who would they likely be compared with. So the first group we'll talk briefly about is the subterranean termites. The most uh, widespread is going to be the eastern subterranean termite, but you will also find the western subterranean termite out in the west and the Formosan termite. And so these are all three species of subterranean termites that you will be familiar with and understand because you could be tested on them. Now, when we also look at termites, there is another group, and those are the drywood termites. And there are a few species in this group. Drywood termites make their nest in wood as opposed to the subterranean termites, which make their nests in soil, right? Soil contact. And so they need very little moisture to survive as comparison to the subterranean termites. And their pellets are very unique in that they have a six-sided fecal pellet. And this is specifically the drywood termites. And there are some other differences, but that's really key. Again, when you read this book, you'll see the descriptions are very, very small. So don't overstudy. You don't need to go to your second source and do extensive research. What's in the book is perfect, all right? Now, when we look at the other termites that fall into this group, there is a couple. There is the Western Indian drywood termite, and there is also Calitermes, which doesn't have a great common name, but that's another drywood termite. Again, they are making their home in wood as opposed to soil. There is another termite in this group called the dampwood termites. And dampwood termites actually require high moisture levels. And they're very similar as far as the pellets go. They're very difficult to tell the difference between a dampwood and a drywood termite sometimes. And so then we look at the location. Where are we finding them? That will help you. And so they're very large termites, dampwood termites. So take a peek at them. When it comes to termite control, uh, there is a lot written about termite control. And so, uh, you know, there is some strategies here in the book, and mainly we're gonna be talking about the importance of inspection to make sure that we inspect and that we're really looking because you are looking at somebody's most expensive investment of their life, usually their home. And so thorough inspections are really important. We're looking for mud tubes. We're looking for kick out holes. We're looking for pellets. We're looking for damaged wood. We're looking for conducive conditions that would allow termites. These are all things that are important when it comes to inspection. And then from there, we have several ways we can manage them. If they're dry woods, you might be looking at fumigation. 
If it's subterranean, it might be through baiting, it might be through a liquid application, there are physical barriers out there. Again, be familiar with all the ways we can manage them. They're listed on page 130 of the ACE manual. Now, when we get to other wood-destroying insects, there are some Hymenoptera. So Hymenoptera, the order Hymenoptera, are the bees, ants, and wasps. And in particular, there's going to be two that we're gonna focus. Now, I will tell you, there are a ton of wood wasps out there, and there are also other ants that infest wood, like the velvety tree ant. But you don't have to worry about that. The only two ones that are on your list are the carpenter ant and the carpenter bee. And so on page 131, they talk about carpenter ants. And so what you wanna make sure you know is you wanna make sure you know how to identify them. So how many nodes do they have? They have one, okay? The coloration is a difficult way to ID them because there are in a variety of colors. Know what their nests look like. And so they particularly like to uh, nest in trees or large stumps, stumps, but however, they will go into structure. And so those can be secondary or satellite nests. That's one of the things that make carpenter ants difficult is that they have a, these primary nests and then they have these satellite nests that can actually be inside of structures. Know what a nest looks like. Often you get frass, you get insect parts, uh, you might see a head or a leg or something in there. So be familiar with what the nests look like. And then their variety of what they eat is actually very varied. Uh, the challenge with carpenter ants is they're not excavating the wood because they're consuming it. They're just trying to nest in there. They actually eat a lot of things like dead insects. They love honeydew. They'll take sugars. They uh, also uh, will eat or decaying fruit. And so their diet is actually quite varied. So baits actually can work very well here. Uh, but often we need to remember that they're not actually consuming the wood like the termites. And then also know what control looks like. Now the carpenter bees aren't really mentioned in this section, but so you may need to uh, do a little bit more research. And so uh, here you might wanna go to your second source and at least be familiar with carpenter bees. I stand corrected. They are on page 136. Remember I said you didn't have to go anywhere else, so I stand corrected. So on page 136, they actually have some pictures of carpenter bees. And so be familiar, again, they are not excavating the wood to eat it. They are using it to put in their eggs. They have these divided galleries and they have an exit hole. And so you wanna make sure that you're familiar with their biology. And so that's really what's important when it comes to the wood-destroying insects in Hymenoptera. Now, wood-boring beetles are a whole nother section of this exam. And I will tell you, it's probably the more challenging ones. When you get to the termites, you're gonna go, oh, that's no big deal. When you go to the Hymenoptera, mm, those aren't big deal. But when you get to these wood-boring beetles, there's a lot of them. And they're very different because some of them attack hardwood or softwood. What does that even mean? And so we'll talk a little bit about that to hopefully give you some tips on how to study for the wood boring beetles. So wood boring beetles, they're beetles. So they're in the order Coleoptera. They have complete metamorphosis or holometabolous metamorphosis, meaning they have an egg, a nymph, a larvae, 
sorry, an egg, a larvae, a pupa, and an adult. I hate when I have to talk about termites because then I get all, I, I start challenging, did I say it right? Okay, so let's go say that again. Complete metamorphosis is an egg, a larvae, a pupa, and an adult. Depending on the species, they like hardwoods or they like softwoods, okay? And when we're looking at beetles, let's go back and talk a little bit about their anatomy. They have four wings or two pairs of wings. And so the first pair of wings, uh, they're often referred to as the forewings, or it, they're the elytra are actually hard. They're like this hard surface and then underneath are the soft wings that they use if they fly. So that's important. Many of these wings, the elytra, actually have what we call striae or striations. So it looks like there's lines on it. So you can see these lines. And sometimes that's helpful for identification. When we get to the stored product pest, that's gonna be important, especially comparing a couple of those beetles. When we look at beetles, sometimes we don't see the head because it's kind of buried underneath the pronotum. And so, and sometimes the pronotum has specific structures or it's notched or there's something special about them. And so beetle anatomy and understanding where the pieces all are and where morphologically everything is will be helpful to you. And then last but not least, antennae become important. Uh, beetle antennae can be very different depending on the species. Sometimes they have clubs. Being able to recognize clubbed antennae and how many segments are in that club is going to be helpful for you. Now, when we look at the wood, and sometimes it'll say uh, sapwood or heartwood, you know, taking a look at this on page 133 might help you. Uh, when we look at trees, trees have uh, the very center of the wood or the middle of, of, of the, if you took a tree and you cut it in half and you looked at the stump, the middle or the center is called heartwood. And then as we go, you'll see the rings, we actually move to sapwood. Now it's actually way more complicated than that, but we're only trying to understand the stuff for the exam here. If you wanna learn more about trees, I highly suggest you take a class on arbor and trees. But for our purposes, we're just trying to understand where these beetles are residing. That's really what's important to us. And so that's what we're trying to look at. Now, looking at the categories of the bees, we, I'm, I'm sorry about the beetles, here's what we're gonna be looking at. The type and age of the wood attacked, the size and shape of the holes, now the beetles are actually living inside the wood, inside the tree, and then they emerge. And when they emerge, when the adults come out, they actually use their mouth parts, they have chewing mouth parts, they actually will create an exit hole so that they can get out. And so the size and shape of that hole matters. That's how you can make an identification. The presence and consistency of frass coming from those holes. Uh, this is where you have beetles like powder post beetle. That's describing their frass. It's super soft and it's like powder. That's really a descriptive word. And then the moisture level of the wood will also matter. Certain beetles like moisture, certain beetles do not like moisture. And so that becomes important. So the first beetle group we'll mention is the true powder post beetles. Okay, this is the lichted beetles. 
And on page 134, there is a great diagram that explains the exit holes. It gives you a table and it talks about the beetles that you have out there, the exit holes and the size and shape. They talk about the age and the type of the wood that they attack and then any characteristics that differentiate them from other beetles. And so making a list for yourself, these are the beetles that you should try and compare and contrast. We should definitely know the true powder post beetles, which are in the subfamily Lictinae, okay? And so they make this fine silky frass and they attack hardwoods. We also wanna talk about false powder post beetles. These are in the family Brostrictidae, okay? And these false powder post beetles actually have coarse, tightly packed frass. They also attack soft and hard woods, uh, but they tend not to reinfest. Whether a beetle reinfests or infests is something when you're reading this chapter to understand because beetles that don't reinfest the wood are not a, a big problem. Once they've emerged, they're not going to go back. But if they're known to reinfest wood, well, then we have to have treatment measures to protect that wood from future reinfestations. Anabeid beetles are another group that you need to look at. And the anabeid beetles, um, again, uh, attack hard and soft wood. They like wood that actually has higher moisture contact. Longhorn beetles, another beetle that you should be familiar with. These are the cerambicids. They have these beautiful long antennae. Uh, they attack only dying or recently fallen trees with bark. They can emerge if somebody has bought wood and that tree, you know, the home was made with wood that was infested. Sometimes they can um, emerge and generally they don't reinfest. There also is a beetle called the old house borer. This one here is actually a really important beetle. Uh, this one here is a cerambicid and it can be very destructive. So actually spend some time when you're reading this chapter to look at an old house borer. Know that they only attack softwoods that are less than 10 years, that they can reinfest. That's why it makes them a bad a problem for uh, homes because they can go back in and that what their exit holes look like. They're oval, they're a quarter inch, and really sometimes that's all we have to make the identification. So really important to look at. And so as you're going through the book, look at all these different beetles, make sure that you make some charts for yourself and you're comparing and contrasting them. Again, that one chart is really helpful. When it comes to the management of WDO beetles, uh, you know, some key points is make sure that you know who we're dealing with, which beetle. Uh, sometimes the wood has to be removed. That's one thing that can happen. Uh, sometimes it's because there's moisture problems. So that's another thing that can be corrective. Uh, borate salts can help here. Fumigation is also an effective measure. Heat can be a viable method. And both with fumigation and heat, uh, the rates can be really high and it actually might be repetitive treatments because beetle, uh, when they're inside the wood, sometimes they're in the pupal stage. And so it's this dormant stage that's not only inside wood, but it's inside that protective pupal case. And so beetles can be really challenging. I think the rate for fumigation is 10X, what a normal termite job would be. So that can be quite extensive. And so that's it. That's the wood destroying insects. 
Again, take your time, look at the list. If you're not using the book, look at the list and go to a second source, research them all out, compare and contrast when things are similar. And with that, we're done.